Words are powerful. Have you ever stopped to think about the power of the words that have shaped and changed human history? How these words have have elicited such emotion and inspiration and response from people. I mean, I think of Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, right? Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Words that inspired our nation, you know, in in, in such amazing ways to bring about an end to atrocity. One that still continued even through the civil rights era, but many of you are familiar with Martin Luther King Jr.'s, one of his most famous speeches called the I Have a Dream speech, right? And, And that phrase that even echoes some of the things that Lincoln himself said. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up And live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. Some of you were alive and remember JFK's most famous speech. Right? Ask not what your country can do for you. But what you can do for your country. I think back just in my own lifetime right uh, right shortly after 9-11, President Bush standing at ground zero, right? One of those impromptu speeches where he stood there and said, I see you, right? The whole world sees you, and those who knock these buildings down will soon hear all of us and see all of us, right? Words that still echo in our minds and hearts, and we, we remember them because words are powerful. That's why some of you, right, have... have you know, famous movie lines that you can still quote to this day or lines from a book. You know, I'm always stirred when I watch like Braveheart, right? Mel Gibson plays that character of William Wallace so well. And I can't really do a Scottish accent or anything like that, but right? Every man dies, but not every man truly lives, right? That stirs you up, you know? We remember words because they are, they're powerful, Not the least of which to talk about God's word and the power of his word, right? One of the most famous verses that even anyone can quote, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, right? Everyone can quote that. It's words that inspire and move. How about those encouraging words that maybe we've been spoken to personally, right? We, we heard from someone that's still in us, uh, give us wings to soar. I love you. I'm for you. I believe in you, right? I'm so proud of you. And when you hear those things, it just, it just elevates you. But sadly, many of us have heard words that have crushed our soul, that, that have destroyed us. I hate you. You'll never amount to anything. I wish you had never been born. Those words still play on an endless loop in our minds and hearts and still impact and affect us to this day. You know, there's the old saying that says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. That's not true at all, is it? (laughs) Words do wound. 
Words hurt because words are powerful. They can bring life. They can bring death. We're going to see shortly here in Proverbs that Proverbs has a lot to say concerning speech and words and communication and language and how we use our mouth and our lips and our tongue in communication. Other than wisdom, this theme, this topic is the the second most talked about thing in all of Proverbs and addressed there. It's because words matter. Words matter greatly. Today we're going to spend our time focusing on the negative use of words, improper use of words, which we're going to call foolish speech because it's not the way of wisdom, it's the way of folly. And I've titled this message, Weaponizing Words. When you hear that term to weaponize something, it means to take something and adapt it to use as a weapon, a weapon of war, a weapon to wound or to hurt someone else. And many have done that exactly with words. They've taken words, they've taken their speech and communication and weaponized it to wound, to harm, and to hurt someone else, right? So foolish speech, again, is contrary to the way of wisdom, and it's a speech that produces death. That's what we're going to focus on this week. Next week, we'll look at the positive use of words, wisdom words, uh, and how they convey life to those who speak them and hear them. So we're going to be in James chapter 3. We're going to read the first 12 verses of James. Hear the words of the living God. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. These are the words of the Lord. Now, James, the brother of our Lord, writing here to the church, first addresses the teachers of the church. Those who are responsible for conveying sound doctrine to the people. And he is addressing them first because their speech 
is so critical to the life and health and vitality of the church there. Speech can either be edifying and builds up and it's sound doctrine, or it could be false teaching. It could be speech that tears down and destroys the church. Teachers of God's word are held to a much higher standard, and they're going to face a more severe judgment is what James tells us. Right? Because they're teaching God's people. Look how he says that here. Not many of you should become teachers. A lot of people who want to become teachers, but the, the admonition to them is you really shouldn't want to because you're going to be judged. When you stand teaching the people of God as we're doing today, it's something we do with fear and trembling because I know one day I will stand before God and give it an account for the doctrine of this church and what's spoken in this church And the teaching that goes forth from this pulpit and the other venues in which teaching takes place. And it better be sound doctrine. It better be God's word. It better be a pure gospel. Severe judgment. That's how important and critical this is. Every malady in a church body stems from the doctrine and the example of the teachers of God's word that they're setting for the flock of God. Where you see a church and there's a lot of Wacky, crappy stuff going on. All you need to look to is the teachers and what's being taught, right? I was greatly encouraged a few weeks back. We, we ran for a few weeks the State of Theology survey, which many of you took. And I was really encouraged by the responses there because I saw that for the, mo- for the most part, our body is, is healthy when it comes to core and essential uh, teachings, right? So I was, I was just so encouraged by the answers. There's a few things I think we need to clarify, but uh, it made me feel good that it looks like, right, for the most part, there is sound and healthy stuff going on out from here, and um, you know God's Word, and you know the core and essential teachings of God's Word, and uh, so that is that's so awesome. So then James shifts here, and he he states that the person who can bridle his body, that is, control his body, his whole body, can be considered, look at this, a perfect man. Like, if you are in control of all of the members of your body, you won't stumble in word or deed. You're perfect. I don't know that individual. That might be you. I know it's not me, right? Right? But that person would be considered perfect if they have full control, self-control of all those things. But that person, that person doesn't exist, right, other than Christ. He talks here about a, a bit in some of your translations or a bridle. That's, that's the headgear that's put on a horse to control it, to turn the animal, right? The bit is put in their mouth, reins are attached to that. And with that, like a powerful stallion can be controlled by its rider, this is the imagery that, that James is trying to put into our mind here. That little thing can control a powerful and big thing. Right? He talks about the rudder of a ship. The rudder of a ship is comparatively small when you think of the vessel itself. It's just a small percentage of the size of a huge ship. And that little rudder can steer that vessel anywhere the pilot determines it should go. Slight little corrections make a big difference in that large vessel. And then we have the tongue. One of the smallest members of our body in comparison to our whole body. And my goodness, what a world of trouble 
that tongue gets us into. It gets us into a lot, a lot of trouble. That small body part has such a great influence on the trajectory and course of our life. How much damage has been done with our words. Look at this. He goes on with the imagery. Whole forests have been burnt down by one tiny ember of a spark. You think of that massive forest fire this past year in California. It was a small little fire that started. Wiped out, I don't even know how many, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of acres. It's massive. Our tongues are a small spark that can set the entire course of our life on fire. In fact, James says it's, it's a fire that's lit by hell itself. Because of our sinful depravity, our tongues stain and corrupt our whole body. He calls it here a restless evil. It's always wanting to do evil and say wicked things, right? It's full of deadly poison. I think that evokes this images of, of the garden here. And the serpent used seductive and smooth and flattering words to tempt Eve to rebel and sin against God. With our mouths, James says, we, we bless God, we worship Him, we extol His majesty and greatness, and then we turn around and curse our brother or sister. How horrible that is. An image bearer of God. We've tamed every single wild beast. I mean, lion tamers can tame the, these massive, powerful cats and get them to do their bidding. Go to SeaWorld and you see how we've tamed mighty sea creatures. But here we are, we can't even tame this little piece of flesh that dangles in our mouth. Our ability to control our tongues have destroyed many, many relationships. Marriages have been wrecked. Families ripped apart. Relationships destroyed because of careless words, harsh words, biting, cutting words. How many of us live with regret of things that we have spoken, things we have said to someone else, and we wish we could take them back? I know I do. Solomon understood the power of words, especially the harmful power of words. And he's going to give us repeated warnings throughout these wisdom sayings and Proverbs. And we would do well to heed these wisdom words, brothers and sisters. Before we dive into that foolish speech, I want to, I want to come back and talk about the connection between the heart and the mouth. Because that is evident in the things that we've been looking at in Proverbs. Our words and how we use them are a reflection of what's in our heart. What's in our hearts, as we've studied before, will inevitably find its way out of our mouth. Out of the overflow of our mouth, of our heart, our mouth speaks. You don't say something that's not already in your heart. It emanates in the heart and it comes forth, bubbles forth. Look at Proverbs 12, 23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. Again, look at that heart, right? Lips, mouth, right? Proclaiming is done with the mouth. Now it says a prudent man conceals knowledge. Conceal means to hide, but 
Is he saying he hides knowledge and doesn't share it? No, that's not the point, right? What are we invited to do continually through Proverbs? Hide wisdom in our heart. Receive wisdom into our hearts. Have it in our hearts. When it's there, then it, then it can come forth, right? Uh, the, the prudent man here is concealing knowledge. He's storing it up, right? And at the right moment, wisdom is going to allow him to say the right thing at the right time. But not the fool. In his heart, it's just foolishness. And that's just going to continue to bubble forth and out of his mouth. Right? There's no wisdom there. Proverbs 14.33, wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding, but it makes itself known even in the midst of fool. The heart of the wise person is wisdom. Wisdom has a final resting place in his heart. And even when fools are around, that is going to be made known. It's going to be made manifest. What's in there is going to come forth. Proverbs 16.23, the heart of the wise makes his what? Speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips right a heart that receives wisdom is going to constantly have the right thing to say at the right time persuasive words in each new challenging situation are going to be brought forth in wisdom because wisdom's in the heart wisdom has found a home there wisdom is treasured and embraced and loved and received and therefore that's what's going to come out It's in the heart, bubbles forth out of the mouth. We're going to see that Solomon and and the sages of Proverbs determine who is righteous and who is wicked, not just by their conduct, not just by their behavior and actions, but also by the quality of the words that they speak. Again, words that emanate from the heart. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Depending on what comes out of the mouth, the sages are observing those things, hearing those things, and making determinations on that person has moral righteousness, that person is morally wicked. The heart will either forge pure thoughts or it will forge evil thoughts. The righteous will consider what they say before they say it, right? Wisdom teaches us to think before we speak, to measure the consequences of of our words before we let them pass through the gate of our mouth. But the fool doesn't do that. The fool doesn't think before they speak. They just, bleh. They vomit it out, right? The wicked only react emotionally and vent their full malice. Look at Proverbs 26, 24 through 26. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. How do we know it's a wicked person? Well, we're we're gauging what they're saying. And sometimes those words are going to be deceptive words. Words that are are masked with evil intentions, smooth and flattering words. We're going to talk about some of those here in a moment, right? But they conceal that deceit. In their heart, by the way that they are communicating. Again, they hate righteousness, they hate the righteous, and their ultimate intent is to do the righteous person harm. And all of this starts in the heart. It's ever in your heart, will manifest in your communication. It is inescapable. We can try to suppress some of those things at times. We can, you know, bite our tongue. 
But inevitably, what's in your heart can't help but just spill out from your mouth. Proverbs also teaches us that that how we use our words impacts others, but it also has a direct impact on us. There's consequences to our speech. Proverbs 13.3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Again, a correlation is made between what a person says and then the outcome of his life. The one who guards his tongue. Did you know that you don't have to say everything that comes to your mind? We're going to talk about this next week, but you can actually stay silent. It's actually a really wise practice, right? You're guarding your mouth. But, but not the fool right here, not the wicked, it says here. They speak rashly and impulsively, and it says they come to ruin. Proverbs 18.20, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Now, the imagery here is that you're actually fed by the very words that you are speaking. You feast on your own words. Our influence, our behavior, and our words are going to ultimately determine our fate. Okay, this is what the sage is trying to instruct us here. Now, it's absurd to think that our hunger is going to be satisfied by what comes out of our mouth. But the point that's, that he's driving home here uh, is that whatever words you speak to others, whether they're words that are beneficial and build up and edify, or they're words that are destructive and tear down, and bring death, whatever that is, you will feed on the full measure of the response that that person makes to the words that you've spoken to them. Meaning, you will have to stomach the consequences of the words that you've spoken. It's a big deal. Sometimes we just want to shoot things off and think that it has no impact directly on us. And this is telling us it does. It does. Not only will we be judged, which we'll talk about that in a moment, but it is having direct impact on us. It can be physical consequences, like you might get punched in the mouth. (laughs) That may have happened to me when I was young. may have happened to you. You'll suffer a consequence. It could be an emotional consequence as they berate you, you know, and, and retaliate, retaliate with their own words, certainly will have spiritual consequences on us. But either way, we feast on our words when we speak them. Now, Proverbs 18.21, one that many people quote, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Very misused phrase by word of faith people, uh, thinking that your words have creative power to make things like God. Your words are not that powerful. You're not God, but words indeed are powerful. When you see death and life, that's a merism, and, and we see that a lot in Hebrew poetry, right? A merism are two words that kind of are like the bookend words, meaning those things, but also everything in between. The context here is the whole of life. Death and life, the whole of life are in the power of the tongue. Everything, including life and death, are in the power of the tongue, right? The tongue has the power for good or for evil. The tongue can build up a relationship. The tongue can tear down a relationship. 
The tongue can build up a community. The tongue can destroy a community and bring ruin to it. Words matter. How one uses language to achieve the purpose, their purpose will determine if those words are going to produce good or they're going to produce evil. And that way, your words are extremely powerful. I've already said it. Some of you have heard negative words that have destroyed your soul and your life and crushed your heart. That's how powerful words are. And some of you have received a word of encouragement or spoken a word of encouragement that has just, again, elevated someone's soul. Our speech has consequences. And last I want to say in this is a reminder that we'll be judged for our speech. Our Lord himself taught not only the connection between the heart and the mouth, but the reality that each one of us will give an account to God for every careless word we have spoken. Matthew chapter 12, 33 through 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? Right? Again, he's talking to the Pharisees here. Right? The tree, the person, right? the fruit is what comes out of their mouth. If your heart's bad, the fruit's going to be bad. If your heart's good, the fruit's going to be good. What comes out of your mouth makes the manifestation, the determination of what's in the heart. That's how we know. Right? So he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, Jesus says, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Now, I'm not going to take the time to speak the gospel implications of that in this verse. But I I just want to let, let's let that wash over our hearts for a moment. How easily idle words, careless words, flippant words, hurtful words, harmful words, insulting words, cutting words come out of our mouth. And we don't give any thought to it. And Jesus says, you'll stand before God one day and he'll call you to account for each and every one of those. How long that list is going to be. Words are powerful because the source of our communication is rooted in the nature of God. Our God is a communicating God. Isn't that awesome? He makes himself known through his communication. What is the first thing we hear thundered forth in Genesis? And God what? Said. God spoke. Right? God communicates. His words have creative power. His very words spun the cosmos into being out of nothing. His very words give life and breath to every living thing. And you and I, we image God with our ability to speak and communicate and use language to make ourselves known and understood, just like He does. And if that's true, how important is it for us then to use our speech in a way that glorifies God? And, and gives life to ourselves and others. Words that edify and build up rather than tear down and destroy. Now let's shift our attention here to some of the themes of foolish speech that are used in Proverbs and spoken of. The sages, again, have much to say regarding these foolish words and speech. Words that harm. Because words are not neutral. They're powerful. And 
foolish speech weaponizes words to harm others and to make ourselves look better in the eyes of others. Foolish speech is the way of folly. Foolish speech does not build up relationships. It tears them apart. So let's look at these that we have to avoid. Uh, The first that's talked about in Proverbs is perverse or crooked speech. Perverse or crooked speech. Now, in uh, Solomon's lessons to his son, all the way back in chapter 2 that we studied, he encourages his son to treasure wisdom, to have it come into his heart, because he says in uh, Proverbs 2.12 that it's going to deliver him from men of perverted speech. Wisdom will teach us, right, perverted speech, what it is and how to avoid it and how to avoid those who use it. And then in Proverbs 4.24, you'll see here, Solomon instructs him again, Put away from you, look at this, crooked speech. Put devious talk far from you. Put it away. Now, perverse or crooked speech is speech that distorts truth and reality. It distorts truth and reality. The person who uses perverse speech or or crooked speech may not know that what they're saying is not true, but they believe it to be true. But it is not, in fact, true. Okay? We know that the definition of truth is that which conforms to reality. God's people are people of truth. What we say has to conform to reality. Okay? That's important. And when we are declaring something to be true that is not true, that is perverse or crooked speech. So that would include if we called something evil good or something good evil. Proverbs twenty four twenty four. Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. Right? You tell the wicked person, hey, it's okay, you're right. It's not a sin. That's perverse and crooked speech. Sign of the times, isn't it? Right? It's what our world does. Calls evil good and good evil. That is not for the people of God. This kind of speech must not be on our mouth, and it certainly must not be in our heart. Wise words match external realities. Foolish words distort what is truth and what is true. And that's what you and I must declare. In this category of perverse and crooked speech, I think we would also include any attempts that we might make at justifying or excusing away our sin. Uh, This is what the adulteress does, the forbidden woman of Proverbs. Look at Proverbs 30, 20. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats, wipes her mouth, and says, I've done no wrong. I've done no wrong. We attempt to excuse away our sin or justify it many times as if it wasn't a big deal. We use our words to rationalize and minimize and excuse our sin. Why do we do that? Well, it's a way to avoid repentance It's a way not to respond to the Spirit's conviction. It's a way of making others think that we're actually good. We want to prove ourselves right. I remember sitting in counseling years ago with a husband who cheated on his wife. And that's all he did was excuse away his infidelity and his sin and his adultery. Because it was her fault. She wasn't attentive to his needs. She let herself go. As if somehow any of those would be justifiable reasons. But that's what he did. 
couples who cohabitate love to make excuses for why they aren't getting married and why it's okay to live together. How many even professing Christians excuse away abortion and call it anything other than what it is? On and on and on, we make excuses for why we lie or why we said this hurtful or harmful thing or why we did such and such a thing. That is perverse and crooked speech. I want you to think about that for yourself, right? Our own internal diagnostic. Do you use perverse and crooked speech to distort the truth or excuse away your sin? It's foolish speech. The second category that's actually... The largest category when it comes to foolish words is that of lies or deception. Lies. The lie is a misrepresentation of the truth. It's not a distortion, but it's intentionally misrepresented with the intent of deceiving the hearer. So it's deception. It can be exaggeration. Anytime we try to embellish the truth in some way or we speak a half Truth, right? Uh, in omission of the truth, we, we, right? we leave something truthful out. We do it intentionally, or it can be something like perjury. A lie is a construction of a false reality. We do that to either make ourselves look better. We do that to get something we want. We do that to avoid punishment or to avoid a difficult uh, situation. We do that to keep from being found out and discovered. And we do that many times to hurt someone else. What lies are are attempts to manipulate our desired outcome. And we all do this. There is not a single person in this room who can say, I've never lied. We are born liars. We are born deceivers. Those of you who've had little kids, Right? When your little two-year-old already knows how to lie. Did you take that cookie? And then, you know, just crumbs all over their face. They already know how to lie. Why? What are they trying to do? Avoid punishment. Teenagers lie. Adults lie. <laughs> we all, we all have lied in our lie, liars. There's a lot in Proverbs here regarding this kind of foolish speech. It talks about it especially in certain contexts of truth concerning judicial matters, right? Of, of false witnesses and those who intentionally lie, right, in a, in like in a courtroom setting. Proverbs 14.5, a faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. It's a big deal. In fact, it's breaking the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's one of the ten. And how easily this comes to us at times. God hates the lying tongue and the false witness that pours out lies. We see that in Proverbs chapter 6. God hates the liar and he hates the lying. Why? Because it's contrary to his nature. Our God does not lie. Our God is truth. He hates the liar because lying harms others. And it's enshrined in the law that he gave humanity. 
Do not lie. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do not harm them this way. Proverbs 12, 22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. That's a big deal, brothers and sisters. We're to be people of the truth. We're not to lie to one another. Look how this is powerfully expressed, this aspect of the devastation of lying. Proverbs 25, 18, A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Wow. When you bear false witness, when you lie about someone, it's like you're taking an axe and putting them right in them. Thrusting them through with a sword. Shooting them in the back with an arrow. Do you make it a habit of lying to make yourself look good or avoid something difficult? Do you find this to be a pattern of sin in your own life? Something that you need to consider and possibly repent of. The third category of foolish speech are arguments. Here's another weaponization of words. It's words that are weaponized in order to pick a fight. You know, there are people who love to argue. Ever met those folks? Proverbs calls them quarrelsome. People who love to quarrel, who love to fight, who love to bicker. Proverbs 26, 21 says, As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The foolish person here, it says, uses words, weaponizes words to incite others to argumentation, to a fight, to a quarrel. These are contentious uh, individuals. They get worked up and unleash that on others. Proverbs 12, 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Rash words are harsh words. There are people who by their very tone, because tone matters in communication. I don't know if you know this. You can say the right thing and be a jerk and you've said the wrong thing. Because it matters. Communication is that important to God and it should be to us. The rash words are harsh words spoken in a tone that quickly turns a conversation into something combative. That's what a contentious individual does. Right? They're, they, they, they are easily triggered and they easily trigger other people as well. And they are disruptive to relationships. I want to point something out to you now. Bear in mind, not me speaking, Solomon and Proverbs, right? Remember, this is a father writing to a son, right? But five times in Proverbs, he mentions a quarrelsome woman or the quarrelsome wife. Uh, not I, but Solomon, right? <laughs> Proverbs 21.9, like Paul says, not I, but the Lord, right? Proverbs 21.9, it is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. It is true. Yes, it is. Proverbs 21.19, it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. And then he also says that a quarrelsome woman is like the constant dripping on a rainy day. Proverbs 27. All right. <laughs> Think about that. An argumentative, contentious, quarrelsome wife. It's better, husbands, if you 
grab your tent, grab your camping gear, go up on your roof and go put that tent in the corner of your house. It's much more pleasant, certainly quieter, to live there than in the home with them. Or to go out to the Sahara, you know? (laughs) And it's the annoying, constant drip, pitter-patter of argumentation and quarreling. Now, it's not just women who do that. There's men who do that as well. But it's a big deal here. These are people that you can never say the right thing around them. Every conversation gets shifted to something contentious. They're always loaded and ready to to start an argument about anything. Think in in the New Testament, Paul warns unbelievers, uh, warns rather believers, to avoid quarreling in the church. Because it's something so destructive to the unity uh, of of the fellowship of, of the saints. He says that in 2 Timothy 2 and in Titus chapter 3. It's a big deal. We're not to be people who, who are harsh with our words and easily angered and quick-tempered and picking fights and, and always have, have, have a harsh word to incite argumentation and confrontation in others. That should not be the heart of a person uh, who, who surrendered to Christ and whose heart's been transformed by them. Even Solomon encourages us to not even get involved in other people's quarrels. Proverbs 26, 17, whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, it's to stay out of other people's quarrels, right? Is one, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. I love that imagery. You ever grab a stranger's dog by the ears? You ever try that? Don't. I don't speak from experience. But I can imagine what would happen, right? You get your face ripped off, right? We should strive for peace. We, sh- we should not go around picking fights. And that's not to say that there isn't a time to pick a fight. Or there's something right that we should fight over. And, and perhaps it could be an argument. But the wise person knows when that is. The foolish person, like it's fight time all the time. Fight club is on, all right? So are you a quarrelsome person who uses words foolishly in order to pick a fight? The next theme, insults and slander. Foolish speech can take the form of malicious statements that can be made about a person's character, their behavior, or their appearance. These could be either said to someone's face, if you have the guts. Uh, Oftentimes it's behind another person's back, right? But the fool hurls words of insult and slander to Injure, belittle, or demean another person. Proverbs eleven twelve: Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Right? He lacks sense. What is he doing though? He's belittling his neighbor, tearing him down, insulting him, saying words to him to lower him in his own esteem or in the esteem of others. There, the slander likes to defame a person's reputation or mock them. Proverbs twenty nineteen. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Now revealing secrets is gossip. We'll look at that in a moment, but look at that. Goes around slandering because gossip can can be in the form of slander as well, defaming a person's reputation or character. It's done out of jealousy. It's done out of revenge, right? It's, it, I'm gonna get even for them for something they said about me. Sometimes this kind of stuff takes place just because One person just doesn't like the other person. It can be as petty as that and as foolish as that. 
When I think of insults and slanders, that's, that's, that's the MO of our culture in our day, isn't it? You ever on Twitter? That's all you see on Twitter nowadays. People freely slander and insult people there. It's like somehow we've been given a pass to tear people down and shred their character, assassinate them as an individual and think that that's okay. We are not to be part of that. We're not to use our words to tear people's character down or their reputation or defame them in any way, shape, or form. On that note, I'm going to ask you too to be careful of using sarcasm in a way that is a thinly veiled insult. There's people who are very sarcastic individuals, and sometimes it crosses the line into this sinful, foolish speech. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19 says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Well, when I read something like that, I think about that, right? The individual who says something harsh, critical, something sarcastic, and then the person bristles at that, hey, I'm just joking. It's just kidding. I don't really mean that. But you did. You just don't have the guts to say what you want to say to their face. So you use sarcasm and biting language and then just say you're just joking and kidding. The science of sarcasm, very few people know how to employ properly. But sarcasm is used in a very sinful way to wound and hurt other people. Do not use cutting and biting language to insult or belittle others. If you do that, you're called to repentance. The fifth theme, gossip and rumors. Ah, boy, gossip. What's gossip? Gossip is revealing a secret that someone has told you. Someone shared something with you in confidence and asked you to keep it to yourself. And what does the gossip do? (laughs) They can't wait. They can't wait to share this juicy morsel of secret and hidden information because they're in the know. Right? That's what the gossip does. The gossiper loves to say, what? Hey, don't tell anyone else, but. <laughs> right? Sometimes, right, it's, it's under the guise of a prayer request. Nobody else knows this, and I want to encourage us to pray for brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. And they reveal the thing told to them in confidence. The gossip likes to gossip and spread rumors because it makes them look like they're in the know. The gossip loves to engage in gossip and spread rumors because revealing something embarrassing about an individual or something shameful about uh, someone else lowers that person in the eyes of others. Paul rebukes the widows, the idle widows who were gossips and busybodies, right? Because they were idle, they were spending their time, you know, with sharing information, sharing gossip, meddling in other people's business, and then sharing that with other people. That's not what a follower of Jesus is to do. See, the result of gossip is the same as all other foolish speech. It destroys relationships. Proverbs 16, 18, a dishonest man spreads strife, a whisperer separates close friends. A gossiper divides. Stay away from those people. 
On the other end of that, don't be the person who likes to listen to gossip, to be on the receiving end of it. And the truth is we all love to hear secret information, right? Makes us feel like we're in the know also. We like to hear it. We like to feast on gossip. Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the tummy, right? (sighs) Just feasting on and listening to juicy tidbits of information that you really have no business knowing. But we feast on those things. And if you enjoy hearing gossip and rumors, you're just as guilty as the one who uses foolish speech to spread gossip and rumors. So ask yourself, do you like to spread privileged information told to you in confidence? Are you an individual that can be trusted with someone, something that someone tells you in confidence? Another form of foolish speech, flattery and bragging. There's quite a few Proverbs on this, and I'm not even giving you all the Proverbs relating to these themes and topics, so... Again, read through Proverbs, and you're, gonna, you're going to see these things kind of leap out of those little individual wisdom nuggets. But here, flattery and bragging. Proverbs condemns both types of these speech, this type of foolish speech. Flattery is excessive complimenting of others. Right? And at the surface, you're like, what's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal about that is that there's usually a hidden purpose or agenda in excessively flattering another individual. Excessive flattering to ingratiate yourself to someone. And sometimes it's even done to actually harm someone. Proverbs 29.5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Like the best example of the flatterer we've already looked at extensively, the forbidden woman, the adulteress. She's the perfect example of, of using smooth and flattering talk to seduce uh, the gullible. with no care or concern for the harm that she is going to bring about to this young man who follows after her. Proverbs 26, 23 says, Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips. Now, fervent lips are smooth words, right? Some of your translations might say that. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. A person who flatters others are saying things that don't actually reflect reality. It's like glaze that covers over the rough surface uh, of a clay pot. Put that glaze on it to give it a smooth appearance, right? There is something nefarious. There's something hidden and deceptive that's being done here, right? All types of flattering is foolish speech. Flirtatious talk is foolish speech, okay? When you engage in, in anything flirtatious, what are you doing? You have a hidden agenda, right, to get into some type of relationship with another individual. We're to avoid all kinds of excessive complimenting that does not comport with reality, okay? Bragging. Bragging is self-exaltation and self-praise. It's trying to present a better picture of yourself than actually warrants, right? Proverbs 27.2, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips, don't you love all the humble brags on social media? Right? Right? It's just, you know, I, this could be rewarded for our day. Let, uh, let someone else post or tweet about you, not yourself, a stranger from their account, not your own profile. Okay? 
We should never engage in self-exaltation. Boasting about ourselves, right? Bragging about our accomplishments. It's not proper to do that. It's not right to promote ourselves, to embellish our accomplishments, or to turn every conversation to make it about ourselves. Don't you love those individuals? Don't matter what you're talking about. It's like, talk about themselves. There's sometimes people want to talk to me, and the, the, the 99.5% of that conversation is them talking about themselves. You know, like, well, you could have had this conversation with yourself. Just look in the mirror and talk to yourself. We're not, we're not having a conversation. You're just talking about yourself, you know? No. It's not proper to do that. But why do we do it? For a number of reasons. There's a lot of insecurity. There's a lot of heart issues behind this. A person is seeking the approval of others. So the way they go about it is, let me give you the resume of everything I've done in life so you can see how awesome I am. It could be pride that drives it as well. These are heart issues, right? Again, it stems from the heart. So are you constantly telling others about what you've done in order to make yourself look better in other people's eyes? Not to engage in that. That's just some of the foolish speech. Crooked speech, lies, arguments, insults, slander, gossips, rumors, flattery, and bragging. All of those things are a weaponization of words to harm others, and inevitably they harm you as well. It's the way of folly. It's the way of folly. Proverbs twelve thirteen says, An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. Evil man is ensnared. The righteous escapes. What is our hope if we are trapped in patterns of foolish speech? What's our hope? Looking at another thing that James says in chapter 1 of James, verse 26, James 1, 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That hurts. If you can't control that tiny member of your mouth, your religion is worthless. What a burden. What, a, a, what incredible condemnation that very verse puts on us because of our inability to control our tongue. I read that and I go, well, well then what? Then what do I do? Because I've said things, I say things that cut and wound and hurt. But ultimately, like all we've come back to here, when we look about how the righteous escapes from trouble, what must we do? We must turn to the only righteousness that we can turn to, and that's the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way because we've all failed to control our tongue. We've all used foolish speech. We have all weaponized our words and hurled them To bring harm to others. We need the righteousness of Christ to escape from the troubles that our mouths, our tongues have gotten us into. So we look to Christ. We turn to the one who never sinned with his mouth. The one who never uttered 
a foolish word from his lips. The only one who never sinfully harmed someone with his speech. Who never spoke a lie. Who always kept his tongue under control. He's the wise and faithful and obedient son of Proverbs. Perfectly fulfilling every single one of those Proverbs we've just read. He fully lived those out. And yet what did he do? He took upon himself the judgment for all of our foolish speech. So that you and I could have his righteousness. So that you and I could have forgiveness for how we have sinned with our mouth. The one who is the way, the truth, and the life died for the perverse and crooked heart. The one with no deceit in his mouth who speaks the truth died for liars like us. The reconciler took upon himself the wrath to us for the contentious. The one who remained silent when he was insulted and slandered and reviled paid the penalty for us who freely and frequently insult and slander others. The one who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, died for sinful flatterers and braggers. Praise God that scripture tells us that Jesus' blood speaks a better word. His word speaks words of life and forgiveness and reconciliation and justification and cleansing and sanctification. The words of Jesus are spirit and life. So to the degree that you believe and trust Jesus, to the degree that you believe the promises of the gospel of grace, you will no longer need to use crooked and perverse speech. You'll no longer need to lie or be contentious or insult or slander or, or use flattery or brag and boast about yourself in self-exaltation. You'll not need to justify yourself before anyone else because you've already been justified. You'll not need to seek the approval of others because you've already been approved and have the approval of Christ. You'll no longer need to injure others with your words or retaliate with your speech or harbor unforgiveness because you've been forgiven of far more than you will ever need to forgive anyone else. In Christ, brothers and sisters, our speech is redeemed. Why? We have a new heart. And that new heart doesn't spew forth wicked things. That, that new heart does not spew forth insults and slanders and foolish speech. By God's grace, by the Spirit's enablement, by His sanctifying work, we can control our tongues. We can use our speech to glorify God. And edify others. I'll leave you with this final word. Then. In light. Of the righteousness of Christ. Romans 8.1. Therefore there is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus.